0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Whiskey Hue podcast. Today, I'm without my regular co-host, uh, who made a cool couple of billion from the Robinhood IPO, I'm hanging out in St. Tropez or the Cayman Islands, setting up their next investment shell vehicle, uh, whatever they're doing. But nonetheless, I'm here with some some great guests uh, taking their spot, and they will be, will be bringing some great content. Two great friends from the crypto space, which everyone always asks for, and we always give it to you. So now let me jump into my portion of the intro. It is, let's go. America calls Clyde Black, Athul Brown, and Anthony somewhere in the confusing middle with three brothers, various shades of brown, bringing you the latest in tech, business, and startups mixed with a ton of sarcasm. Cue the music. Okay. Like I said, today we're in for a treat. Two crypto experts who will discuss various angles of this space, which is in hyper expansionary beast mode right now. Right, as we all know, very young industry, but it's killing it. It's pretty much that you can't go anywhere without hearing fifty people talk about it. Some of them know what they're talking about. Some of them don't. All right, uh, so let's let's get into it. Um, I'm going to have. Greg Brown, a lot of our audience is familiar with him. He's been on a few times. Great, great resource in this space. And Alexander Golding, another dear friend of mine. Alexander, I have to give him props. He was actually one of the first people I heard speak about the crypto space. Uh, And then Greg kind of came on recently, but Greg's all in. I love it. I love it. And and then I have a handful of friends who are as deep in as these these two gentlemen are. So you're going to love this. So. Let's have you two introduce yourselves. Alexander Golding and Greg Brown. Uh, go first, Alex. You go alphabetical.
1: Yeah, love to. See Thanks, Atul. Um, So yeah, my name's Alex Golding, and I've been following crypto for a long time. I've been in it about five years. Um, I'm a two-time founder um, right now. Um, just still investing. I'm more on the venture side. I do some liquid investing as well, but mostly I'm in it for the long haul because. I believe that you know we're truly have an opportunity to decentralize kind of the power and stronghold on finance and art that's, that's happened and of culture. And the way we're going to do that is through tech. And so I, I believe crypto is a vector to do that.
2: And I'm Greg Brown. Yeah, good to be back on the show. Thank you, Althul. It's great to be here, Alex. Good to meet you. And uh, I'm kind of a longtime income strategist who spend my career in the wirehouses You know, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, Goldman, et cetera, and working with the private banks, helping folks that their investment portfolios, whether they were uh, sovereign wealth funds or uh, large kind of corner office producers in either the private wealth banks um, or the wirehouses, and helping them with their income strategies and as much what to buy and what to put in uh, portfolios, anything from, you know, MLPs to REITs to income producing, you know, munis, taxable fixed income, et cetera. And so what drew me to um, as, as a legacy financial services guy to crypto was number one, the amazing yields and returns compared to the to the banks, compared to the money center banks and low yielding uh, fixed income right now. Uh, you know, we got a 10 year treasury in the one thirty one forty range right now, which is just ridiculous as a taxable yield, especially into the teeth of inflation and, and what the Fed's been doing here the last couple of years um and so that, that's what attracted me so from the decentralized finance applications to nfts really great amazing opportunities to generate some yield um, a lot of the pool opportunities are really attractive to me and i think this is the future going forward uh and i like i like the numbers i like the opportunities i like all the smart people that are that are really really sharp in the space working on the over you know eleven thousand five hundred coins and protocols in the space and I could not be more excited. I, I think I said on a previous call, awful uh, with, with you guys and, and Clyde and the crew, um, I think back in January, we had a call and, and you asked me, you know, what's appropriate allocation for the average client? And I said, I don't know, but I think I told you by April 15th, I would be 90 something percent in, um, outside of my real estate holdings, I'm more than 90% in crypto and digital currencies and in companies involved in that space. Okay. Um, and it just continues to outperform the S&P. Uh, dramatically. So it's been a a good move here and been a good run.
0: I love it. All right. So let's set some benchmarks for the conversation, right? So first of all, we will slightly demystify this space. There are many, many opportunities here, obviously, right? In all honesty, we know most folks fall into a few categories, right? Many folks are either playing or not playing. That's high level number one. Um, Some want to play, don't know how, where to start. Maybe some of this conversation will help you. Uh, Some think it's a Ponzi scheme. We know a lot of those folks. Some playing have no clue what they're doing. You know what? I fall into all four or five of these categories at some foot and some facet around some of these currencies. So the big guys, I believe in them. Some of the smaller guys, I'm starting to believe in them. I'm seeing like this web 3.0 develop, the metaverse. So we're going to talk about all of this. Um, and, you know, the cornerstone of all of this, you should just is tagging on to what Greg and Alex just said, the fragility of the global financial system as we know it, it's becoming increasingly exposed, right? And, and, and so many countries around the world are in a recession of some sort right now. Central banks and governments have aggressively printed money to avoid systemic collapse, right? You can, we can all agree with this. The tools to recalibrate and normalize from tradition, not as effective as they once were. One reason being the economic activity moving to this parallel online universe. So let's just one last benchmark and then we'll jump right in. So stocks to buy in the equity markets, let's just put that out there, that people, how people understand it. In the late 90s, there were around 7,500 of them, right? Back when Sosa and Maguire were chasing their little baseball home runs, right? Uh, today, almost 50% less, 3,800. And that could be due to a bunch of consolidation, uh, money's more extensive as Alex and I always, there's our space in the private markets, there's a lot more money to play with. So companies stay private longer in consolidation and cryptos. But look at cryptos. 2013, 2014, just a handful of companies really in this space. Today, 6,000 different cryptocurrencies. So we'll get into this high level. You know, We'll also address like the S&P 500 companies. A lot of them are putting crypto on their balance sheet. You're going to find out about it generally a quarter later when they have to release this info. And let's talk about some main things I want to hit. And I'm going to hand it over to the experts here. China's role in crypto, digital currency, uh, in regulations, but their role really in this space. The metaverse. I hope we get to tap into. Let's mess around with Robin Hood because I always make I poke fun and then I celebrate them all in one step because of some of the things that are good. It's a great digital system. I mean, digitally they killed it. It's just the the means around it are interesting to me. So decentralization, DeFi, currency protocol. Let's jump into all of it. So where do you gentlemen want to go first? China, metaverse. Where are where you thinking?
1: Not all at the same time. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm happy to talk about, you know, geopolitical stuff and the impact okay. on the cryptosphere. As long as people recognize these are just opinions and, you know, no one's going to kiss the ball.
0: <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. I made a mistake because you can tell Clyde's usually the one doing this great, great duty here. Up top, Greg, mention the whiskey that we're drinking today because it was Greg's choice.
2: Oh, the whiskey we're drinking today is Minor Case. It is a uh, rye whiskey uh, and finished in a sherry cask. It is from a uh, limestone branch distillery in Lebanon, Kentucky. Nice.
0: All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Kick it back to Alex. You can tell I'm a novice at this running point guard.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if we're going to be talking about this, the most important thing is to ask ourselves, um, is government an existential risk to the crypto sphere? Is, you know, the exodus of miners from China an issue? Why did that cause a huge uh, downturn in, uh, kind of the crypto market cap and, and, and then prices across the board. And then why didn't U.S. regulation, the threat of U.S. regulation do the same? In fact, did the opposite, right? Yeah. So when, when we were discussing, when the Senate was discussing regulating the crypto industry, everything shot up 10, 15%. Why? And so these are, I think, some topics we can discuss. Um, we have a lot of other topics. So maybe we just kind of say high level, but just, and stay succinct. But those are, I think, some of the things we wanted to talk about. So what
0: do you think? <laughs> uh, you know, what, let's let's start the US centric then we'll jump into China, right? I, and I'm going to ingest here so Ted Cruz, I don't care where you sit on the uh, political cycle, we can all agree though 100% of Americans that he's a less manly version of Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> I got to do it. Got to do it. All right. He's completely catering to the changing demographics of his state, which I'm on board with him doing that. I get it because he actually, and he's inherited a younger population during the pandemic, right? Austin has this huge tech scene. Dallas is known as far as Houston has, has already had a kind of a traditional financial sector. Um, he, they have more ops to retain that talent they absorb during the pandemic than Miami does, I think, long term, uh, just because of what the infrastructure already in place. But he's doing great. Like, look, he pushed back correctly on crypto regulation in the Senate. Yeah, I actually like what he said there. He, I'm gonna to try to quote him. He said, "We shouldn't regulate what we don't understand." Ding, 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 as because they usually try to, right? So you know, uh, so don't destroy people's lives and livelihoods by regulating something we don't yet quite understand. Because if we start regulating here in the U.S., these miners may feel compressed. This is me talking now, and like like in China, if the you know they clamp down. These folks will move to a more accommodative economy. We'll get to that in a moment, right? So we can already tell, you know, we've absorbed some Russia, uh, Asia, West you know, European countries have absorbed a lot of these people fleeing so they can mine in other countries from China. That's great for those other economies. I I, I kind of like that move from him. Uh, but then you can see, let's say, Afghanistan right? What they just went through. I could see China walking right in, you know, just hanging out like JJ from Good Times, right? Uh, they're going to walk right into this and say, okay, British, Russian, American empires could hang, but they're, they're like, we can deal with this kind of crazy. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> oppression on the people, sign me up, right? They're down with it. And I think that could be an accommodative country. Hey, we don't really have a solid infrastructure in place. Do what you will. And if you have companies like that, where you countries like that, where you can mine and all that, that could be interesting. Right, that could not be great. All the outcomes uh, if you just let that happen. So, just take that for a minute. I jumped in there.
2: Uh, well, well I'll, I'll jump in there for a minute, and I'll go chronologically, you know, quickly and follow up on what Alexander said about, you know, the Chinese, you know, essentially shutting down mining here in the first quarter, uh, and it drove an exodus out of China for miners, and it drove them to Kazakhstan. It, j- it drove them exactly. to find places where they could find the best economies of scale. So, the lowest kilowatt hour and and the most accommodative uh, political environment, cities, places where there were, you know, nuclear facilities available, uh, hydro facilities available, or a power grid that had available energy that it was, you know, six and a half cents a kilowatt hour and and available and reasonable where they could go mine uh, and and not be, uh, you know, squelched by by the local government. So, um, I, I agree with Alex, you know, we saw hash rates come down for Bitcoin um, and initially it pulled, it pulled that market back and, and other crypto and digital markets back. But I think what we saw is it, in my opinion, for the first time in, in, this, in this, you know, 10 years or so, it's the first time we finally found in the U.S. the crypto market or the digital markets. And Alex, please come over the top on this. Um, but we finally began to find our voice. And there were guys, you know, Mike Novogratz and others that were at Bitcoin 2021 in Miami who called for our industry to find its voice before we got regulated, right? Before we, we should propose these things ahead of time before and, and politicians will always regulate first. It'll be, you know, uh, ready, fire, aim. And that's what they did here again with this infrastructure bill. Um, so, I think from a mining standpoint, it ends up being positive. Overall, hash rates are coming back up. Uh, Bitcoin has rallied. The industry's found its voice as a result of that and as a result of this, uh, this misguided infrastructure bill. So I think both are uh, are good for the industry. And I think if you kind of go back to crypto and what you're looking for. La- last thought is you got to be clear on what are we solving for? Are we looking for yield? Are we looking to diversify and use crypto or, or tokens or coins? as an alternative investment class? Is it is it gold as an alternative? Is it a commodity? Is it a currency for your portfolio? Or are we looking for yield? Are you retired and looking for yield at 5 to 20% or in some of the pools where you can get 30 30% to 300%? So I think you got to be clear about what we're doing in this industry. But I think all of these things have been extremely positive. I would rather see this stuff US, US-centric for mining, Kazakhstan-centric for mining, other places that are available and open to that where this can be stable and more long-term. I I, I approve, you know, kind of applauding both these these events that have happened. And look, bad legislation will at least force us to react. And and to Alex's point before, the markets have reacted really, really well to this infrastructure bill, even though it was bad news. We came together. It didn't force anybody out. No whales dumped Bitcoin for the most part. Volumes have been good. Everything's been just fine here.
0: Wasn't it up like 35 mil a day for a while? It was going up, popping up that much, really, every day. It was incredible. Think of the transaction fees and all of that on that too, right?
1: Yeah. So I think, and again, if you're talking about transaction fees, if we're focused on Bitcoin, which is um, a large sector of the cryptocurrency industry, I think Bitcoin dominance now is somewhere at the level of 44%, right? So 44% of the entire market, that's $920 billion of people's assets and wealth. Um, so, when that, when that is kind of stabilized, it's good. And what's great about the uh, kind of the legislation, and what's also great about the Chinese kind of factor, is that both of these activities, I think, and happening their occurrences basically ensured, or the outcomes ensured, the continuation of the cryptocurrency industry. So, one of the big issues that all the institutions and a lot of non crypto native investors have been asking themselves is, Will this be around in two years? Will this be around in three years? You know, they say, oh, it's, they write it off as magic internet money or, or you know, uh, crypto gobbledygook or, or in the words of Elizabeth Warren, super shadowy coders, because they don't believe in it. Right. And, and, and I, but the fact that China said, listen, you can't be here, but you can exist is a, a good thing, because a lot of people were always, always worried. This is always kind of whispered around. Oh, China's going to send their military in with guns and shut everything down. That's not what happened. You know, The and so there's an orderly kind of general, uh, slowly, uh, an orderly, but slow, or at least moderate exodus, government order, but still exodus from the country. Um, I'm sure over time that, that they might come back. Part of it was in order to solidify the Chinese Communist Party's uh, digital yuan, right? They did not want a competing mining uh, network and competing cryptocurrency network in that country. Um, that's something the U.S. government kind of takes hold on. Like we are going to lose the battles for in the digital kind of dollar space, the digital payment space, um, if we don't pass the right regulation. And then when the Senate debated for five days, you know the finer points of what is a miner versus a validator, you know how liable are software developers for KYCing eventual end users who could be two or three uh, parties down a transaction. I mean that just shows that the industry is here to stay. And if anything that provides to me, that that's why everything went up because institutions said we finally have some legal clarity and some legislative clarity that this will be around and that this is a legit thing. And I think those are the key points to kind of take away from
2: that. Agreed. And and also let me jump in there too, when Alex is talking about Bitcoin dominance. So let me just define that real quick. So if we look at a total market cap right now in, in all of crypto, it call it 2.1 trillion Bitcoin dominance right now, according to coin market cap, 43.9. So Alex, you're right on the number 44%. Oh. So that's what percentage of Bitcoin market cap of that 2.1 trillion. Um, and what we've been seeing is as Bitcoin dominance has been sliding down here a little bit from 50 down towards the, the mid to low forties, what we've seen is altcoins, alternative coins, Cardano, Solanas, um, Polkadot, et cetera, our Weaves of the World, Kusama, Kava, on and on and on, pick up market cap. And that's been real positive for the altcoins. And and most of those altcoins have outperformed Bitcoin um, this year, at least. So that's been good for us. Um, The other thing is in terms of uh, payments, tremendous opportunities right now with payments, with Apple Pay and PayPal and even Visa coming in and buying their first NFT this week. Um, and, and figuring out that now that we've got some kind of legislation, good, bad, or otherwise, mostly otherwise, I think we'll see some revisions going forward, but I I think the traditional folks have figured out there's money to be made here, um, on the payment side. And I think the institutional providers, you know, the Goldman's, the city banks and others have figured out that their institutional clients want access to the space, Bitcoin, Ethereum, the ability to put that stuff on their balance sheets or figure out, where they can find efficiencies uh, by, by putting data or transactions on the blockchain. I think we're getting adoption that's going the right direction. So I think all that stuff is extremely, extremely positive right now.
0: Let me, let me make two geopolitical points. Let's tag on to, let me do a quick one about Afghanistan, right? So they're a perfect case for wanting something like crypto. Unstable government, folks leaving in a hurry. We saw that, right? And, and many folks are unbanked, power outages all of this kind of stuff. So those who are banked could be causing bank runs because they're trying to flee in a hurry. And that's kind of similar to what we had in 2008, 2009. Um, yeah, that's one thing, that's a case for crypto. Like, okay, there's this borderless kind of uh, currency. Let's get back to China now. Play with me here for a little bit. I, I'm kind of a conspiracy theorist in, in, in sometimes, and I like this kind of story. Um, wouldn't is isn't it in their best interest uh, to stockpile anti-US assets, let's say, or so crypto could be perfect because, you know, gold, expensive, hard to mine. Are they playing a game, creating headlines, Bitcoin they thought would dip, and it did for like a minute and a half, capturing gains on those dips, then gobbling up more of it at lower prices, knowing it was going to pop because interest demand clearly is there, right? Is that something they could be playing as well? And then maybe banking on the next iteration of some, something, else, like Web 3.0 coming from a Cardano or something like that? Yeah,
1: but shit? So- Right. Like at the end of the day, I'm going to go back to even more basics, right? We call these cryptocurrencies. Currency is not a good word for these, right? They're too volatile. The opportunity costs of using one in a, in a bull market is too high. You know, we have stable coins. Those are great. I use them every day. I use them to make investments. I use them to buy things. I, you know, instead of Venmoing, I, my buddies and I, we do this when we're splitting an Airbnb, right? But like if if it was revealed, hypothetically speaking, that China... Had gained significant hash power, let's say on the mining side, where they would gain a significant portion of total percentage of Bitcoin assets. I mean, on the mining side, it's more it's more concerning, right? But they've they've shown that that's not where they're at, um, because they want the digital yuan, and they're gonna you know try to uh, limit other types of currencies um, or at least store, digital stores of value. Um, but if they had a large amount of currency, like who cares? Like it's not like they can do anything to the network with it. Um, it's not as if, you know, and if the, and if the public, if the general market thought this was an issue, then, you know, liquidity would drain out of Bitcoin, the price would drop through the roof because, or drop through the floor because people would be selling. So I think it's a non-material issue.
2: Yeah. And i uh, if I, if I think about China, the first thing that comes to mind for me is control. What they want is control here. Yeah. So, you know, they want to control capital flows. They want to control... Um, people, you know, Jack Ma's gone awfully quiet in the last six months, yeah. awfully, awfully quiet. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on there. Hopefully he's not in a Uyghur work camp someplace. Um, but it's clear the Chinese want control here. So what I could foresee going forward is you get your weekly paycheck or your weekly allotment of whatever, uh, Chinese welfare on a digital yuan, um, debit card that they've already issued to, you know, maybe by this point, a hundred thousand, um, vendors, Um, and on the uh, bridge and tunnel projects they're doing across Africa, same thing, paying vendors in digital yuan. So for them, it's about capital control and controlling people. You show up at a a protest in Hong Kong, you're not getting your digital yuan that week. Um, So I I, I see it more about control for that government. Um, And uh, so that's where I think China's trying to go here and shut that down. Capital controls and control people, number one. Number two, um, in terms of Afghanistan, I'm not sure Afghanistan's the perfect place uh, that, that I see big demand coming for, for crypto or Bitcoin at the moment. I think if you're worried about getting, you know, macheted on the streets on the way to the Kabul airport yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or people going door to door asking, is your 14 you know, year old daughter available? And I don't mean available. We're taking her. Um, right. and, you know, she's going to marry some Taliban, uh, you know, leader. Uh, I don't think your first concern is 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 capital. Uh, I think it's more, more about do you have fresh water today? Can you feed your family? And who knocked at the door? So, but perfect I think there's example
0: op- though. Meaning, but perfect example. I meant by not. Hey, they're they're going to be a huge use case for. They're going to be subscribers to it. But hey, if you need to leave in a hurry, you can you know, only right. so many amount of physical dollars you can take with your Crypto is with you wherever you got to be.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I think most of the currency in the country left on the helicopter uh, with their president. So uh, I agree, you can't just go to the ATM and pull out. Uh, Afghani dollars and off you go. So yeah, there there can be a use case there. It is decentralized. That's good versus you know the Taliban. But I think it's going to be a while. I think that people have more pressing issues at the moment. Um, but there are good opportunities right now in you know in the Philippines and in lots of South American countries um, where we're seeing you know NFTs and and play to earn um, with with some of these uh, games. It's it's pretty interesting where kids can you know earn more money than their parents do in a month or a quarter. Uh, by playing some of these NFT games, I think that's pretty pretty valuable for folks in terms of wealth distribution or creating wealth um, that's actually getting you know used and paying bills and and, and buying food. Um, so there are some great opportunities there right now.
1: There are. I'd love to get back to in a second. I want to jump to something you mentioned though about Afghanistan. So um, when it comes to crypto, and when it comes, this is a digital made a digitally native first form of like capital creation, capital distribution, and capital usage right? And it's highly efficient, much more efficient than like the traditional banking system. And so while Afghanistan's usage of Bitcoin or any type of cryptocurrency in aggregate may not really push the scales of like global GDP, because Afghanistan's GDP as a country is 19.29 billion, um, which, you know, compared to some US entrepreneurs or European entrepreneurs, you know, pales in comparison to just a single person's wealth Or, But I think the fact that Crypto is being adopted in Venezuela. It's a Venezuela, by the way, is a third is a country that has the third highest cryptocurrency adoption. In Argentina, in Nigeria, in Afghanistan, I'm funding teams in Georgia. I'm funding teams, you know, the Balkans. I'm funding teams in crazy places that where they typically didn't have access to VCs like me. Um, I think that's just kind of showing. Just kind of a decentralization of capital and the efficiency of moving capital and of storing value in today's world and of accessing it. Um, and the Wall Street Journal actually did a story yesterday or the day before. So sometime this week on the usage of cryptocurrency as a store of value for Afghani refugees and, and for people who are staying in the country. I think that that's of something of note, right? Is that, um, it's a, you know, even if we're thinking of bank runs and whatnot, you don't need a bank run anymore. You've got your money. You can store it on a USB key, or you could store it on an exchange or somewhere in the cloud, leave the country so no one can ever ransack you, and yeah. then and then access it again. And I think that that is, is incredibly powerful um, yeah. and is a paradigm shift. Because, again, we're going from, we're talking about uh, distribution and adoption. Traditionally, there was a bell curve, and most of the money and most of everything happened in the middle of that bell curve. And now everything's, that curve is flattening and those tails are elongating and becoming a little taller themselves. And that's really interesting to me. And I think that's why we're seeing 11,000 plus cryptocurrencies. We're seeing all types of innovation. And the pace of innovation is so fast. If you look at this kind of as like a biological organism that's just rapidly evolving, people, coders are out there creating new stuff. They're self-funding or getting funding from people like me they're putting their stuff out there. If it fails, it fails, but it's fixed fast, and that's like we're moving at warp speed. And innovation yep. is like happening. And so, if we look at a just broad macro trends, right? Everything's gone digital: dating, digital, um, groceries, digital, house buying, digital. I, I just moved to D.C. I didn't even step in a uh, step foot in it before I moved in. I did a Facetime. We walked through it. You know, I got here. I changed. Uh, I started. Swiping left and right on people here, you know, girls here in the in the city, trying to you know have a date. Like everything, <laughs> everything's digital now, so why don't we have a highly efficient use of money that's also Agreed. can be used to, like transact uh, machine to machine because now we have our money can be programmed to do things if certain conditions are met. That's yep. wild. If I yep. could take my analog wallet and the dollar, the greenbacks in my analog wallet which, by the way, I have very few of because now everything's digital for me. And I could tell them, if certain conditions are met, I want you, Mr. $20 bill, to magically fly yourself out of my wallet and like go deposit yourself somewhere to do something for me. That would be a scene out of the Jetsons. And that's what we've accomplished with crypto. I think we just kind of need to like recognize that and the world needs to just Mm -hmm. understand that this is what's happening.
2: Agreed. And tremendous use cases right now that are permissionless. You don't have to go to the bank. You don't have to go to the ATM. You don't have to take the risk of carrying that stuff. And I can do, you know, person to person payments. I can pay athol today for my appearance fee. You know, I, I can do everything I need to do there. <laughs> so it, it, it's a pretty great process. And it's part of the innovation that we should be leading this as Americans um, and leading the funding as Americans. Um, right. Because you don't have anybody knocking on your door today. You know anybody coming to uh, to threaten you this today for the most part. So, you know, we should be taking that responsibility for the planet and driving this as, as much on the innovation side as we can. I agree hundred percent. Nice,
0: nice. Take us any any finishing thoughts right there on that, and then we jump into the metaverse maybe as well. All right, let's let's jump into the metaverse. All right. So let's set this up with like a name that everyone knows, Facebook, right? And then we'll get into the, all the other players, which I think are actually going to be more interesting. But Facebook will be a nice, um, helpful player to help a lot of people adopt quickly and scale. So let's say, you know, on their last journey calls, and I brought this up on a previous pod, on their last journey calls, if you listen to it, they make 95% of the money from advertising. They mentioned advertising 28, 30 times on that call. They mentioned Metaverse where they make 0% of their money right now, 20, 23 times, 22 times, something like that. You can tell where they're thinking of going. So they made this amazing purchase Oculus. Now there's finally, there was a prospective use case. Now there's actually real use cases. They're doing, I think, work rooms. They're doing everything where you could show up. They're going to play to every hybrid and in-house format. And, you know, uh, you can work if you're working remotely, you can look like there's an avatar representing you with your laptop in front of you in a meeting. They've already started setting it up. So, they're coming for Zooms, the Google Meets of the world. They're coming for them, right? So, this is great. Now, I think whatever you think of Zuck, I mean, the guy's he's putting his eggs in this basket. And I think he's going to be one of the right people. I'm going to get crucified for things, but to help us kind of move in that direction. And then all the other things, obviously, Republic Realm, Decentraland, Apes. We're going to talk into what some of the companies and maybe people are affiliated on this uh, Potter involved with it, whatever they feel like disclosing. Um, So there's a lot of going, but I think sports and some of this other, and work are going to help us kind of jump in it, but sports and all this other kind of crypto plays. um, And I covered, I don't want to cover again what I said on the last pod, literally like a pod or two ago is, you know, it was the, the apes, uh, I'm sorry, it was the crypto punks. It was delved off the whole crypto, uh, I'm sorry, the punk period of, you know, in the seventies and all that. And they created these things and now they're, they may, they, cleared about 150, 160 million in one week because Gary Vee got involved and within you know, somebody upped him by like 30, 40%, like 5.5 million for the next crypto and a bunch of them to exchange hands. These were given away for free on Ethereum initially, right? And then half of those, I mean, maybe 40% of those have been lost. So the 60% that remain, and I'm going to make this, uh, take that for a little bit, and then I'm going to jump in and make some other kind of declarations.
2: That I think they're pretty interesting in this space. Alexander, you want to run with that for-
1: yeah, having to so, I mean, I, I don't have too much to say off the rip, but that I think I need just more more to go off. But um, I think that as an evolution of artwork, of culture, and of gaming, NFTs are great, and that's the current iteration we're seeing. Uh, but an NFT is a non-fungible token, so it just means something that can't be exchanged for something else, right? So, and you know, we're seeing this in music now. audience is a music company. Um, that has 5 million daily active users, you know, and it, it enables kind of uh, a more efficient artist discovery and music discovery, other things. And a lot of their, they have a blockchain backend that's based on a highly efficient blockchain. Um, and so it's, I think that we're starting to see it creep into other areas than just, you know, visual art, which is where it kind of started. Um, I've had people pitch me ideas to take you know, relics like antiquities and make a digital representation of them. And that represents ownership. And again, it's a more highly efficient use case for transferring ownership and or lending out ownership, right? If, uh, historically you had to sign 10 papers and three docu signs and two PDFs. Now you can just send, you know, a one pager with an NFT link embedded in it. On Wait, whatever. Alex. In
2: my time, it was send a few faxes back and forth yeah. and try to get exactly. to turn on the contract. Exactly.
1: Send a few faxes. You know, <laughs> take someone out to lunch. Like, hope the briefcase doesn't get destroyed. Like, or rained on. Whatever. Some time. Yeah. Fly, exactly. And now we can, here. Here's a here's a QR code. Just scan yeah. it. Like now you own. When I can view my thing, and we're seeing. You know, of course, in the beginning, uh, status symbols come out. Those punks. Right, yep. other other profile pictures come out, and a lot of this is driven on Discord and Twitter. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I just kind of want to start there, and to see what you guys have to say, and then we, I can go deeper as as we should
0: Yeah, we should reiterate that. Hey, this the, this whole space can explode now. Metaverse has been around since early 2000s. I think you know some of these video games have been around, but what's what's allowing it to explode? Blockchain. Right. You can build, you can see the smart contracts, all the NFTs that you just mentioned, all of these contracts, the smart contracts built on Ethereum for, for the right now. There will be some evolutions in that space. Until
2: I'm, September 12th. Uh, is, uh, Cardano,
0: is Cardano, is Cardano, isn't it October 1st? Well, they keep delaying that date,
2: right? I, I, it's gonna I think happen? we're. September twelfth, September sixteenth. All, right, all right, all right. Assuming you know all the programming <laughs> you know, there's, goes. Well.
0: There's people betting on if it's going to happen or not on this other thing called PropBet, which is phenomenal. But I agree with you. Cardano is going to be another player. I think Cardano is actually gonna, it's it's cheaper, uh, it's more it's more efficient as far as gas fees and all of that to run. It, it could kind of be an alter, alter alternative to Ethereum.
2: So listen, I'm am a big fan of Charles at Cardano. I'm in I'm in my house in Boulder right now. He's also in Boulder County. Uh, so you got Cardano based here, Zcash here, the CEO of Binance US based here. Uh, so I'm a big fan of what they're going to do. But let, me, let me go back and, and build on what Alexander said. To me, the theme here that, that everything we're talking about is about adoption. It's about adoption and moving away from fiat currency and moving away from these old Greg Brown, send a fax, get on a plane, travel fix, 50 weeks a year to build relationships, to close deals. And these things can be done much more efficiently, less cost of goods sold, less travel, um, and and it can move at, at light speed, as Alex talked about a moment ago. So to me, it's all about adoption. I, I think it's fantastic when I see things like, you know, PayPal just getting approved to do yeah. offer uh, crypto offerings in the UK. Awesome. Uh, I thought it was going to get done in the first quarter, got pushed a little bit back, but they're finally up and running their Visa this week, coming out and buying a, a crypto pump a crypto punk NFT for $150,000. Fantastic. To me, it's all about adoption and utilization, and I applaud everything in the space. The other thing I'd kind of like to get Alex's um, take on is I kind of like where Solano's going now, where they've essentially taken all the history on their blockchain and moved it to Arweave for storage. So that storage is on the blockchain. And, you know, for, for the last, I don't know, five plus years, it's all been about cloud, cloud and cloud. Um, and now it seems like there's another opportunity to park that stuff. It makes them faster than Ethereum. It makes the network less, uh, glitchy, um, much faster to get transactions done, less gas fee, uh, hopefully. But I, I, I think we are going to move in leaps and bounds here. And you're really, you said earlier, yeah, people, some people think crypto or digital coins are the whole space is either a Ponzi scheme or they're in a little bit or they're not in at all. I think you got to really get in and I'm not giving anybody financial advice. That's not the purpose today. My compliance guys wouldn't like that at all. Um, but I think you really need to take a look and, and, and take an opportunity to begin to at least dip a toe or in my case, you know, up to your neck uh, in the space. What can you share with that? Uh, Alex, uh, Alex, why don't you share with us
0: what you can Oh, your your take on what's happening? Solana had just pretty interesting things, right? The the degenerate apes that killed it for them, right? That really made their kind of valuation pop per se initially, right? Here yeah, a couple yeah. weeks ago. Yeah.
1: So um, for those of you who don't know, I just spent the last twelve weeks at Solana Labs, um, helping deploy capital as you know an institutional VC there, and so I, I'm just going to kind of choose my words carefully, um, but I think that it helps to kind of take a step back and look at the inception of Solana, right? The founders spent 20 years in, in in storage, in data, in computers, in telecom. And they realized that the consensus mechanism that Bitcoin and Ethereum were using um, to kind of uh, come to consensus and make their blockchains work was inefficient when you want to balance both speed and security. And so they create a new form of uh, consensus called proof of history, and it it it. I'm not. I'm going to spare people like the highly technical things. You can Google that. But basically, by relying on like a certain secret trick in like computer uh, hardware architecture, they were able to speed all that up. To put things in perspective, as uh, to just how advanced Solana's technology is versus, let's say, the number one or number two players in the space. By the way, Solana is a uh, you know a top ten cryptocurrency by market cap right? Um, We'll we'll look at Ethereum, which is number two. Ethereum can handle about 30 transactions per second, according to Fortune magazine. Um, And they can confirm these blocks approximately once every 15 seconds. Sounds fast. Let's put things in perspective. Visa, according to Fortune, does about 1,700 transactions per second. So Ethereum 30, Visa 1,700. Solana can handle 50,000 minimum, easy, no problem on a good day, you know, up to Mm -hmm. 65,000. There are ways I've heard to get above that. I think that, you know, there may be plans to get above that, but right now let's talk about 50,000. So what is, you know, 50,000 divided by 30, right? We're talking about, you know, a huge order of magnitude increase. This is not a 10 times increase. This is not a hundred times increase, but this is more than a thousand times increase in terms of efficiency. Now let's have a block time uh, consensus. So Ethereum is approximately once every 15 seconds. Solana is approximately once every 400 milliseconds. So again, we're talking about a 40X increase. And if we're talking about replacing an incumbent technology, you can't just be 10 or 20% more efficient. You need to be 10X, 100X more efficient. So this just kind of shows you the difference between the old tech of Bitcoin, which was created as you know, 2008, 2009, 2010, you know, right after the um, Great Financial uh, Crisis, and it was created as a response to that, to disintermediate the power that these financial institutions had, so that they could never kind of shaft the global economy again. Um, to Ethereum, which was I think 2014 or 2015. I want to say 2014, but um, 15. I think. 15. Yeah, but now we're to now like the modern day. You know, we're in 2021 we've got this kind of like modern blockchain for the modern world that can truly handle any type of decentralized financial application or artistic application thrown at it. Um, that kind of that, that that should kind of show you where the puck is going, in my opinion at least. And um, so I'm a believer. I've drawn I've had you know a good amount of time drinking the Kool-Aid um, and I believe in this stuff. And as a VC, I have to think about where Will technology be in three, five, seven, ten years? Right. Mm. It's it's not just about. Uh, it's like how did the iPhone transform our world? Even though the iPhone wasn't the first smartphone in my mind, like I had I had a, a flip phone that could access the internet, and I used to use it that way. When the iPhone came out, when BlackBerry came out, but especially iPhone, like it transformed people's uh, abilities to communicate, to transfer data, uh, to keep in touch and it took but it took a 12-year period right like two, i think you know 2008 2007 2008 it was 2012 whenever it came mm-hmm. out it took time for it to become what it is today and that's what we have to think of when we're talking about these blockchains so And uh, you at, asked what degenerate oh i can get yeah sorry i'll pause here
2: yeah so you touched on a little bit but so as a bc you're going in and you're looking out three to five years is there other things you're looking for so you get you get the opportunity to come into Solana, or you get the opportunity a deal gets put in front of you. You're looking for something to hedge your existing portfolio. You're looking for something to take out a holding that will improve it, that will speed it up, or shard uh, that blockchain, or Im- Im- improve those transactions. Or what are you looking for, ideally, when you look at a deal?
1: Yeah. So I'm not going to go into Solana Capital's investment thesis. Yeah. Uh, but I or our book, but I am going to talk about I think. One thing you mentioned, which is improving the ecosystem, right? So you mentioned sharding. So for those of you who don't know, Ethereum, this old technology, needs new technologies to speed itself up. So people Mm -hmm. come up with layer two and side chain solutions, which means that you literally leave the Ethereum blockchain. You do transactions on some other chain that's faster. And and then they kind of post the results back to Ethereum because Ethereum just can't keep up and it's highly expensive to use. Um, and then there's sharding, right, which is where you kind of break these chains apart into multiple shards and then you weave it back together. But, and there's some other competing uh, chains that have kind of done this. I'm not going to mention their names, uh, but I think it's important to realize that Solana is so fast and was so purposefully built to be this fast and this high throughput and kind of just like a stalwart that they don't need that, right? Like, they don't need sharding. They don't need side chains. Right. We right. don't need layer two solutions. And so I, I, that is a highly compelling thesis to me, right? Like keep it simple, stupid, right? That keeps people. simple. Keep it simple. Um, so yeah, I'll pause there. And then if we want to talk about NFTs on Solana and the metaverse on Solana, I'm happy to. Should I jump into that?
0: Wherever, Greg, you want to take it for a uh, little bit? Or, no, or no, no in, I'd, love to,
2: I'd love to talk NFTs. And, and how much time do we have left by the way? Uh, 10, minutes? 10 minutes, okay. He it yeah. it said drink the Kool-Aid. I'm looking at a bottle of Minor case. So, you know, yeah. I was just getting a little yeah. thirsty <laughs> over here.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Then we got to, we'll jump.
1: Yeah, guys. It's, um, so NFTs, yeah. So DJen Ape Academy came out a week or two ago, and this is really cool artwork. It, I loved it. I wanted one so bad and I'm an insider. I couldn't get one. I tried, um, mm. not, I tried to go through normal channels. I mean, I, you know, and, and that's what's really cool is that like crypto, there's these like utopian ideals, right. That even so the team that like, you're, you're, they're building on top of our blockchain, I think of our blockchain almost like an operating system. And I couldn't get one. I had to sit in line like everyone else. There were some failures, um, there yeah, were some issues, the challenges. Right? And so, but I, I couldn't get them. But now they've gone from being, I think they were five soul when, when it happened. So they're around 200 bucks, 250 bucks um, when when they were first minted to now I think the floor is like 17 or 20 soul. Which is like seventeen hundred dollars. So we're talking a week going from two hundred fifty to seventeen hundred. Like, where else are you gonna make that money? That's like a five acts, right?
2: You know, I don't know, but they're really cool. If you've not yeah. seen this artwork, although we should put a link uh, definitely on the on the pod. They're really it's really cool artwork. Well, the
0: beauty of it compared to the CryptoPunks, which were so kind of uh grainy what do you call it uh b- pixely 8-bit. right just yeah, pixely like you I'm built it on afraid. an atari or something a commodore vic 20 back in the day or something right yeah. these look nice it's, it's great
1: yeah. we will do that yeah these look nice and that's what's cool like to try to figure out like what are tastemakers like who's making these tastes in the cryptoverse? you have to remember some of it are these guys who are like you know we're playing video games is that nostalgia like mean something to them and having these images of like become status symbols and speaking of NFTs, so I went to a party a few year a few months ago uh, with this team Animus and Street Dreams and Rarestone put together. And Animus and DJ Premier did a collab okay. and created a whole. They took his entire like new music collection, or, or I don't I don't want to speak to what the project, got my attention. Took his music, got my attention. I they like took it. His music, right? We're talking Premier. This guy Gangstar, right? This guy yep. like oh, he's a done long everything. time ago, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, like what an icon of hip hop. Release a whole bunch of music via nfts and like and like i think had artwork along with it and it came down flew down played a private party and i i was told the last time he did a private party was for banksy and banksy had to give him a unique one-of-one artwork in order to, oh, get him to play and now this is a guy who's getting involved in crypto releasing his music on nfts releasing art you know i was trying to cop him i think they were like five grand uh, you know at the time or maybe more i ended up not but like um, Cause the one I wanted was taken, but it's, um, it's interesting. And you're seeing a lot of people pile into this and there is, I think, froth in the market. I'm not mm. going to call it a top. You never know what a top is, but there's froth. And so it's really about like sticking to our guns. It's about getting exposure. There's something on Ethereum that came out, digital horses, digital horse racing, right? So the truth together <laughs> to me was like, all right, nice. <laughs> digital horse racing. And it's called Zed Run, Z-E-D Run. I like the guys there. I have friends who are like Zed Run millionaires. Anyways, and so I went out there, and I I'm I'm a little bit too much of like in some senses a boomer, and so I was like I'm not going to buy a Z1, I'm going to buy a, you know a Genesis, but it's going to be a Z4. I okay. should have been less cheap and bought a Z1 for thirteen thousand because now they're going for one hundred and fifty. Wow! Right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Instead, I went the cheap route I bought a Genesis Z4, which is like kind of like the minimum. It's kind of like the bronze, right? Like I should have bought the gold. <laughs> and uh, and it's so a lesson learned, right? Like I had to. You have to move with conviction. You have to be willing to leave old beliefs behind. You're willing to embrace the new. Believe. Lean into the power of community. And that's mm. this is so great. It's community fueled passion. Community fueled artwork. Community fueled capital creation and capital like sharing. And people will share alpha with you. A lot of people will also share some other things that like yep, maybe you should listen to their advice, right? But like people will share alpha, and that's important.
2: And Alex, what do you think about it? In, in this world where you've got, you know, Australia going back into a two-month uh, shutdown yeah. and, and these things that can create a sense of digital community or, or mm-hmm. digital tribalism seems very, very important to me. I don't know what's going to happen with football in the fall if we're going to be back to reduced, you know, attendance mm-hmm. or if you have to show your vaccine passport to attend, but it seems like it's ripe right now on the planet for these other digital opportunities to commune with other people and connect and and have this shared artwork, this shared sense of who you are now under this COVID or Delta variant existence. It seems really, really important right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I wouldn't put it past, and this is me speaking, uh, you know, as an opinion, as a lay person here, I wouldn't put it past the, the sports world over the next few years to start distributing tickets as NFTs or to drop oh, airdrop of like Of course. Merch. Imagine you go to, uh, let's say, you know, you got a, you got a Bulls jersey in the background. So imagine you go to a Bulls game and the Bulls like, you know, they win, they win the last playoffs and they airdrop artwork to everyone sitting in that audience. Go crazy. Oh, right? Oh, everyone, absolutely. everyone who interacted at least five times on Twitter with them that night gets a piece of artwork celebrating yep. the win. Yep. And then, and then imagine you could, there's a secondary market. So, this is what's cool about crypto is you yeah. can provide liquidity for any type of asset. So, now there's a secondary market, digital first, We you can go 24 hours a day, buy, sell, trade, or lend or borrow against yep. an asset. And so yep. now you went to a, a, a basketball game. Maybe you spent 200 bucks on a ticket. You get a piece of artwork with 100, it appreciates the 500. You lend yeah. it out, and you're earning 10% interest on it. You know, a semi-annually, so twenty percent per year. Yep. How, how does this drive adoption models for everything else? Oh. And so I'm looking at deals that are in in the creative space, in the culture space, in the fashion space, in other spaces that are using that are designing digital-first incentivization models to drive non-digital uh, consumption of goods and services. And and that's where I think the Fortune 100, and Fortune 500 are going to be caught off guard. Wait, wait! Did you
2: say? Wait, wait! Did you say digital-first incentivization models? Are you a Georgetown guy? I'm not <laughs> a Georgetown guy.
1: I'm not I a Georgetown you, guy. I thought you were a yeah. Georgetown, no? No, I'm a G. I went to GW for a first year of an MBA. Got okay. it. Okay. <laughs> All right. a, my yeah, babe, that, that's my bad. Not a, I'm a Georgetown guy. Yeah, I'm not. It's, it's I don't. Not I, don't a... I don't. I don't drink that. Their tea. They're. They're a little too highbrow for me. <laughs> Ouch!
2: Wow. All right. Well done. Well, I, I agree with you 100. percent But I think the way that that fiat gets moved further back into the into the you know uh, back into the the history, I think that tickets are going to and you're going to scan your NFT to get into the game. You're going to be a seasoned t- season season yep. NFT holder. That's where we're going. That's the value. Yeah. So I'm in I'm in my house in Boulder and Red Rocks is the amphitheater near here yeah. where. YouTube film, uh, Sunday, Bloody Sunday, and the Beatles mm-hmm. that play there. And every trader I know in New York City, every firm always wants to come out in the summer, stay at my house, get some edibles, and then go see Tedeschi truck or the dead or fish or Bob Weir or whatever. And everybody wants to go to Red Rocks. I would do anything for a Beatles NFT of a Red Rocks ticket. There's not a, you can't put a dollar amount on that. And, and there are things like that that I think are extremely valuable. I'm a Raiders fan. Um, I'm a huge LA Kings fan. You mentioned yeah. where the pucks are going. You know, mm. a lot of people don't know. Gretzky's first pro contract was with the Indianapolis Racers. You know, I'll do anything to get an Indianapolis Racers Gretzky jersey NFT and kind of follow that progression, put them on the wall next to my, you know, my race jerseys in the basement and, uh, and in the man cave. So I, I think there's tremendous opportunities there. You mentioned, you know, artwork. Um, you know, why don't I have Uh, a Gustav Klimt here. Why don't I have, um, I'm a big French impressionist painting guy. Why don't I have a Monet and a Manet and those things available? I'm passionate about all that stuff.
0: And it's like we've seen Monet in person. It does nothing for me. I'm supposed to think it's amazing because it's supposed to be amazing. Okay. I think in this space, you're going to have a lot of younger folks who are going to be Full of, you know, they have money that didn't have it when, I mean, we didn't have that kind of money that they'll have this next generation because there'll be be different ways of achieving it and capturing it, but they're not going to want LVMH. You know, LVMH is going to try to tag on. Alex, you tried to to say, I think they're going to want crypto-native companies. I think Glossier was one brand. I mentioned this in the last pod. Glossier is one brand that captured like the, I guess, millennial it would be. Gen Z is not going to want Glossier. But Glossier has got a nice foothold into this space because they have to capture the youth. But they're going to want some crypto-native brand to come in and help them exercise all these options. Uh, It's going to be amazing. I think we're only talking transactionally. There's going to be a point where, you know, Oculus, you have to wear those. Big goofy things. Can you imagine we're there for 10 hours a day? Right. There's going to be a point in life, it might be 15, 20 years out, where we just get out of bed and step into it and we're experiencing uh, hey, we're in Aruba with Dahlia, jump to the pool, jump to the jump to the yep. ocean, right? Um, I, hey, let's I don't, get
2: this. The Tesla bot, the Tesla bot will take her. Exactly
0: yeah yeah i think that's like that what is it called it's like his cruiser elon's what is that truck he's got cyber truck it's never happening <laughs> no the robot will probably happen i think it's kind of cool but he's he's a marketing genius but that's that's another that's another topic but yeah. it's I, I can't wait it's gonna be interesting well i'm gonna tag on at the last end go finish your thoughts, and i'm gonna tag on something that might be an an, an interesting impact on society afterwards
1: go ahead. Yeah, so so i like to mention a few things right when we're talking about our work like this is this is. Legit artwork. I'm going to put a, a link in the chat here to Stoocious. It's a, a profile Escardidifan. It's talking about an 18 year old teenager who made 18 million in about in about 12 months selling artwork Sweet. on the internet, right? So this is not just like some fad. This is like literal serious artists getting out there, and because they've got they've mastered the new forms of distribution and the yeah. new forms of creating community and of reaching people. And at the end of the day, both money and artwork and culture are about reaching people and connecting them and getting them to do something and then invoking a response somewhere or another. These people are able to make, to add a lot of value to our lives. And uh, this is someone who, you know, is a very visible member of like the, the queer crypto artist community kind of pushing forward a lot of his his ideals there. And, and it's incredible. Like literally the youngest, this guy's the youngest artist to ever be featured by Christie's. And the first artist to ever crash its website, and oh, this wow. happened because of crypto. Like this would not have happened without uh-huh. you know a crypto revolution. So people need to pay attention here. Um, we've
0: we've mentioned a bunch of artists like Black Star. You mentioned you mentioned uh, who, uh, the Beatles. Mentioned all these. Premier, like, can you imagine? Yeah. Uh, Paul McCartney wants to record a new track. Okay or Black Blackstar, well, let's, let's let's get into it. Most deaf wants to do something interesting now. He's been out of the game for a little bit, tapping into other things, doing podcasts, but now he wants to do another piece of music. Let's see if you could own a piece of that. So I know from the music industry, they, they front you money, and then you have to pay that back. Well, sometimes when people try to go independent, which is kind of, the, that used to be the impediment against going independent, is you have to, okay, where do I come up with 100K to fund my own project, and then hopefully to get it back? I have to figure out my own distribution. That's what the record labels used to do. Well, now, if you, let's say, us three really like some artist. Okay, well, he needs he needs 50 or he or she needs 50, 60K to put this. I put in 5K, but I get ownership and perpetuity on that deal, right? So, we have an ownership and one of our royalties. favorite artists. Exactly. In royalties. That's exactly where I'm going. So, that's one thing I, I'm looking forward to. I'm already looking at some deals in that space. Another cool thing I'm thinking, like, you know, back when I was in Music Street, I, I still get checks every three months, but they come at a nine to 12 month lag. So something is on CBS today, featuring my music. I'm going to see it 12 12 months later. With blockchain, you get it all there. It's very transparent. Airs today, paid today (laughs) or paid tomorrow. That's where we need to go. Right. There's a company doing that as well. Um, Interesting space. Take it. Go ahead.
1: So I wanted to put on one thing there. Oh, Greg, go. But if you want.
2: No, I I agree with that. I, I was thinking about, you know, with, with all the lockdown with COVID and what might be coming with the uh, with the Delta variant, you know, I can't go to my favorite Impressionist museum in Paris at Musée d'Orsay and go see all my favorite Impressionists right now. Look at this so guy. I'm, I so saw I might want to drop some NFTs to my daughter and say, hey, here, let's take a look at some of this stuff. Let's, while we're going back to school, let's start talking about art a little bit more rather than just doing online Spanish and just online, you know, a couple of art drawing classes, because she's very artsy. So I might wanna, I might wanna buy some of those NFTs to give her some exposure to that. Cause I'm not sure when I could take my daughter Dahlia to Paris again. Or the last time we were at the Guggenheim, I went with my buddy uh, John Esposito who's a big architect in Brooklyn uh, and his girlfriend, Fa, who's this amazing Iranian one with with a double PhD, works for Google. So we went to see Giacometti at the Guggenheim. Dude, I'm, I'm jonesing oh, wow. to get more artwork right now. Broadway's still closed in New York City, it's killing me. So mm-hmm. I would drop money right now on NFTs to give my daughter that experience versus waiting another year or so to go have these, have these trips. You know, Dahlia right now is in Aruba with, uh, with mommy right up until school starts. Uh, in New York again in two weeks right after Labor Day, I wasn't sure they were going to get out of the country. So I was scrambling to figure out what are we going to do if they can't go or, or they need a COVID test or, or one of them's positive or something. So I think there's tremendous opportunities right now to grow, to grow this global existence and give exposure um, to kids.
1: Yeah, I'd love to jump on that for two, two quick things. One is on the art space is a lot of people say, oh, but who cares? It's just digital art. You can take a screenshot and like copy and paste it, Right. So let let's say let's say you do that. People do that. You know, their boot, boot, bootleggers exist. Bootleggers have existed for hundreds of years. People who steal, cheat, and lie, they exist. What's important is that we know who really owns it because there's provenance at the point of creation. Yeah. And and it's now stored on an indelible record that is distributed across thousands, if not tens of thousands, of computers across the world, potentially stored even further on AR Weave or IPFS. Which are these kind of decentralized file storage systems? So, from the point of minting the the the, the proof of ownership, as for forever basically, as long as we have electricity and an internet, we now know who owns this for real. And there's no you know you as long as that. And that transfer of ownership happens appropriately every time the physical piece, hypothetically speaking, if you were linking into a physical piece, not only a digital piece happens, there will never, ever be another fake Picasso.
0: And it's going to be like art, right? True art. King Arthur, if something burned down, if his castle had burned down, there's a painting that survived that, there's a story pegged to that art piece. Yeah. Here, you're going to have that provenance and then everything. LeBron James owned it for a while. doesn't matter much to me because this guy's my goat. Jordan, you see the jersey. Um, so th- I, if Jordan owned something, I would pay up to get that versus yeah. if, you know, LeBron had it. So it, all of that's going to be pegged there, transparent for everyone to see. It's the yeah. story that comes along with the art piece.
1: Yeah. And, and so well, to jump on that, I think that what's important there to, for everyone to realize is that we need to dispel from this FUD of like crypto is only for criminals and you can't trace it. Right. So if we're talking about provenance and like knowing that Jordan previously owned a Jersey or own a piece of art, or even if it's a digital first, like if we know that, then everyone else knows that. So this isn't good for criminals. And a good, a good case point and case in point is the colonial pipeline uh, hack Perfect. earlier this summer in July of 2021, nice. they paid money to these hackers in crypto, in Bitcoin specifically um, and within like four days, the FBI seized it back. Right? So like, this is not for criminals. It's highly inefficient. You don't do something. In a in a currency that's easily traceable right cash is much more difficult to trace the traditional banking system is much more difficult to trace because they've got like old mainframes bad accounting a lot of people errors bribes this is this is digital first you can't bribe a computer because if you only let's say you did and you bribe one of the nodes in the network there's ten thousand other nodes that are saying that that guy's wrong and yeah. that's what's so special about crypto right i right.
0: love it Greg and Alex, are we going to have to chime out for in a minute? If we do, then I want to get into some, okay, so we're going to have to chime down for a minute, but we're going to get into the shit you should know section, review our whiskey. Those are two things left. One last thing I want Greg to just nail down for us, right? We've, we've talked about the grayscale trusts, getting into Bitcoin, getting into the chain link and all that. Give us that. So there's a fee. Uh, GBTC was a 2% fee. And then they, you know, then there's the premium on what they actually own. We know it's in the, in the Cayman Islands, vehicle, saran wrapped, and then we buy into rights to it versus actually owning the asset. Take that for a minute.
2: Right. Explain so great. to our audience so they get it. Right. So if you're not, if you're not holding right now, uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or some of the other, you know, kind of key larger cap coins right now, your option is to either go to you know, Binance US or Gemini or Coinbase, Coinbase Pro, Voyager, Kraken, um, Celsius, et cetera, and and link your fiat bank account in there. Move some move some cash in there, and then go buy those individual coins. The, but you can't do that with an I. You can do it with an IRA, but it's complicated. and There's fees involved. The other thing you can do is you can buy the grayscale trust. So you got an account at Fidelity. You know, lots of these other places. Uh, you know, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, et cetera. You can go in and you can buy the grayscale trust. Um, where they are buying spot Bitcoin or spot Ethereum or spot some of these other coins within there. And it's easy. You can do it right in that existing account. There's no additional know your client. There's no set up your account. If you're concerned you know that it's a Ponzi scheme or you're concerned about security, you don't have to link your bank account right, with your you know, $3 million liquid or whatever it is. Into that into that account and think you have any exposure there. So you can come and buy it. If you buy GBTC, which is a grayscale Bitcoin trust right now, a day ago it was a 17% premium. So what that means is when you buy the share price at call it 39 bucks a share, you're actually getting like 43, 44 worth of Bitcoin. So it was more advantageous for investors over the last few months to buy GBTC. And get that 15, 17% discount, then actually buy physical Bitcoin, depending on what you were trying to trying to solve for. So there's a ETHE trust through Grayscale for Ethereum, there's GBTC for Bitcoin, but it's it's something I look at every day and see where the arbitrage is about how I'm going to trade that. So in my IRA accounts at you know, eTrade, Schwab, et cetera, I'll buy GBTC and ETHE. More than that, when I want to own the individual coins and not have a fee on it, I'll just go do that, pay the gas fee initially to own it. And then I'll just tuck it away essentially in my cold storage.
0: Done. That was like a quick 101 on it uh, after the 1900 level that we had in the conversation with Alex and Greg prior. Uh, This is great. Gentlemen, I wanted you two to meet and get on this uh, topic together. This has been
2: awesome. I think we need to do a part two, part three, a minor case. minor case, rye whiskey, and it's finished in sherry casks. So it comes from, you know, proper bourbon, Kentucky, Lebanon, Kentucky, and uh, it's a hundred percent rye. So you can mix that in old fashions. I like it on the rocks. You can go any way you want to go, but it's just a nice, clean, beautiful way to go. Um, and I just like that. I like that rye whiskey a lot. And I came across it at one point. It was recommended to me from a couple of different people and I've had it two different ways. And uh, if you haven't tried it, you should, you should hit that.
0: It's sweet. It's nice. And it's got that deep amber color to it. So Sherry Oaks, a lot of American uh, bourbon whiskey creators, uh, distillers, they buy old casks from Europe sherry would be from france typically right so that's why it has this and it absorbs that color that beauty right it. it's not food coloring right <laughs> just No, right. and it's that just...
2: flavor yeah it's not <laughs> fireball it's not fireball. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: so it's nice sweet um alex if you need you can throw on there but that yeah, i got the sweetness from it the car is very caramelly um, all right, let's get into some, the shit you should know. We can, we can squeeze shit you should know. Just one last tidbit, a book you're reading, a movie you're watching, whatever it is that you want the audience to know about that you're kind of in, in tune with it and you recommend for them. Go, Alex, you go.
1: You have one? I mean, yeah, just read everything about crypto you can. Empower okay. Yourself. Nice. Make yourself some money. Quit your job. Like what go, go full-time crypto. Hey, like, <laughs> <laughs> that's shit you should know. <laughs>
2: okay, good. Greg, go for it. Yeah, I, I'm on a, I'm gonna. I was gonna go a different direction, but I'm gonna build on that. Listen, there is no MBA in crypto, except there might be one in Hong Kong or Singapore by now. There's no certified financial Jin-jin. analyst. There's, you know, there's you. You can make your space. Look, I'm a traditional financial services guy embracing crypto with all four arms. I am a hundred percent in here. I'm. I'm on. You know, five podcasts a day. I'm. You know, probably read a hundred white papers. I haven't seen as many deals as Alex has. But I am enamored that I'm taking my old, you know, I was first licensed in the the investment business in 1986. I am teaching this old dog new tricks. Every single day, I'm learning new things about this space. And it's moving even faster than Alex alluded to before. I could not be more excited. And I wish I had come up with this quote, but I am telling you, this is the trade of this species. Of every asset class I've ever seen going back to my career in 1986 when it started when I was first licensed July 4th weekend, this is the trait of the species. You got to get involved one way or another.
0: Okay. I'm going to take a one, ass, one, one a different direction, one a bit,
2: but if let's <laughs> take one <laughs> at
0: a time. <laughs> okay. You know, so piggybacking kind of, but if you're not, let's say you don't want to go, you're not, you're scared about that. I think you should jump into this space, but hey, if you're a techie, Here's another opportunity for U.S. State Department. I had no idea. I just want to share this thought with you. There's something I read in an article. They're offering dark web informants up to 10 million per transaction to help bring in, bring to justice those who are, are under the direction of foreign influence do things like hacking U.S. payment systems um, and, and all of that to harm us. So since the 80s. U.S. State Department has given out over 150 million to about 100 different people as rewards to help crack down on some of these things. So, if that's more of your boat, do that too. There's a lot of money. Who's